you know, it's better to not lecture them directly. So how do you communicate your culture and your values to your child if you don't lecture to them? One way is to tell them stories. Mm, everybody loves stories. Everybody yeah. loves stories. Everyone will listen to stories, yeah. Families with Dash offers a balanced parenting approach from generations of tried and true methods combined with research and insights from today. I'm Amelia Murdoch, founder of Dash Into Learning, the popular education company and homeschool mom of four. And I'm Joan Landis, licensed clinical mental health counselor, mom of seven adult children, and grandmother of 16 and counting. And I happen to be Amelia's mom. So what are we going to talk about? We want you to get the benefit of our decades of clinical experience and real life in the family trenches. We offer unique and actionable insights about family life, marriage, and homeschooling. Join us on Families with Dash and become confident and happy parents. Hello, we are back with Families with Dash. Hi. Hey, this is, uh, this is fun to be together and talk today about... Our adolescents, our teenagers, and attachment. Yeah, and this one is going to be really exciting because I think so many parents start floundering around right. this age. Right, middle school, right, the teens. Um, a lot of times you'll have a child that's just a darling child and they're doing really great. They hit 13 and suddenly, uh-oh. Right. Yeah, Houston, we have a problem. They're yeah. just making big changes. So because this is a really involved subject and it tends to be pretty high stakes subject we think we need to take at least two podcasts on this for sure so for the two podcasts the way we're going to divide them up is basically with the attachment paradigm anyway and the attachment paradigm talks about two factors that parents can provide and one is the safe haven Okay, and that's that's the safe place where kids go back to when they've gone out in the world and they're a little bit distressed and how you make that connection with them and how that you make that initial attachment. And the next part is the secure base. And that is what you do to create a great launch pad for them to uh, have a secure base to launch and explore the world and go out and try things. Right. So today we're going to do the safe haven, talking more about how to form that attachment. Maybe you're doing a little bit of catch up work. Maybe there have been things in their past that have been a little bit tough for them and maybe they are a little, dis, you know, distant from you. So what do we do, right? Right. And how to, things to look for as you're coming up on this stage and things to kind of think about you want to do in the future. Right, right. So one of the big overviews of uh, adolescence for parents to understand and really understand deeply is that this is a time when they are practicing their initial forays into independence. And that's actually really, really important. Hmm. Right. Um, and I've talked to you before about how um, there's basically three stages that we want to have as, as healthy adults. We have the healthy dependence as kids, right? Mm -hmm. What does mm -hmm. that look like? That's the kids? toddler stage right. where yeah. they will come to you. Mm -hmm. That healthy dependence, mm -hmm. super important. They have to be able to feel like they can trust that their needs will be met by somebody that cares about them. Okay. Predictable. Right. Yeah. All right, so they, that healthy dependence. And then eventually we want to become independent. And that's a gradual process, usually starting around 12, 13, something like that. And then we launch, we go out into the world, we're making our own money, paying our own bills, and that's independence. Mm. But that is not the final stage. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
This is really cool. Yeah. This is the part that's cool. The final stage is not independence. The final stage is where you form a pair bond, your next primary attachment with your spouse or, you know, significant long-term partner. And that is interdependence. Hmm. Okay. So in order to be healthily interdependent, you have to have been independent first. Why? Because if you are trying to be interdependent and you don't feel like you can make it on your own, then you don't have the option of leaving that a troubled relationship and instead you become codependent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we really don't want people going from dependence to another form of dependence. Right. Dependence. It's codependence. Right. right. So we want you to look at your teenagers and say, hey, I know this is a little bit awkward. They're going to be launching. They're, they're going to be striking out, trying things. They're going to be failing. But this is the process. And understand that this is your job, mom and dad, to actually work yourself out of a job. Hmm. You had mentioned this cool thing called enmeshment versus attachment. Right. And I think that's really exciting because it allows for teenagers, if you have that secure attachment, you can be confident that you're helping them, but you can also live your start living your own life. Right. And not be your entire soul, everything is focused on your kid because that's the only way they're going to survive. And, and it's the only way that you feel like you have meaning in your life. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so basically the difference between enmeshment, enmeshment is an unhealthy over-dependence on each other. So and when the parent is parent overly dependent on the child, the yeah. child's overly dependent on the parent. Right. Through teenagehood. Right. And adulthood. And adulthood. You get these dyads where, you know, you've got a mom that's 90 years old and, and you've got a child that's uh, 75 and they've still got all this dynamic going. So enmeshment is when you're too close that, you know, you're feeling everything that that other person is doing and you become very anxious if they're not doing, you know, if they're not succeeding, you feel like you're a personal failure and you need to call the shots and control everything. And you're not providing that launch pad. Right. There's no launch pad. No. Right. I like that. There's a kind of a passive, maybe even passive aggressive, uh, keeping them dependent on you. Yeah. So uh, this can happen with um, moms, um, who, ha who have really devoted themselves to being a great mom. And sometimes they're not, they kind of lose themselves in being a mom. And so they can't really see their identity as, as much else than being a mom. And so then when the child says, hey, I would like to become independent, there's something a little bit distressing for the parent in that, that's an enmeshed parent. They kind of don't want their child to launch. They kind of want their child to remain dependent because that gives them their role in life and their meaning. And so enmeshment is not a good thing. We don't want you to be over-dependent on each yeah. other. We want you to be attached. And a healthy attachment looks different than enmeshment. A healthy attachment. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I like these points kind of to see if you're kind of enmeshed. It's like, are you living through your teen? Are you putting a lot of pressure on your teen right. to perform? Right. Are you, you should be expressing faith that they can do things on their own. Right. Right. And they don't need the apron strings. They don't need mommy to hold their hand. Right. They don't need mommy to, you know, clear a road in front of them that's that's exactly and, and I think it's definitely can be tricky for homeschool moms who it's like everything is about raising the child and you feel so much pressure about is succeeding. my child gonna succeed because I right. you know took this different path than homeschooled right. and if they fail then it's I'm failing and everybody's right? judging you and everybody's yes. looking at you so I think homeschool moms might even have more of that sure. but realizing that 
not to take those failures personally. Right. And that's how you can kind of right. separate and not be so enmeshed. Right. And if your child decides that they are not going to be, grow up to be a mini me, yeah, that you're okay with that. Right. right. Or filling in all the gaps that you had growing up. So for instance, that, you know, the oldest story in the book is, you know, the dad who got cut in the high school basketball team, and he has, he pushes, pushes, pushes his kid to make the varsity basketball team early on. And if it doesn't, then life is just not worth living. He's living through his child. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a form of enmeshment that really is not healthy. It puts way, way too much pressure on the child. And so one of the ways that you know you're not enmeshed is that you can see your child be different than you, and you are Okay. Hmm. Now, we're not talking about unsafe differences. We're not talking about, you know, things that really violate your family values, but we're talking about stylistic differences, interests that they have that are different. And those, if you can look at that and say, okay, I really do not like sports, but I got a sporty kid here, then there you go. That's, that's a good sign. So what we want is um, children that are becoming independent. And so that big overview is very, very important. The interesting thing, though, is that teens, their bodies look like they're adults and their brains are not connected up till they're about 24 is when the prefrontal cortex finally gets all circuited up with the rest of their brain. And so just because they're older and their body looks like a small adult does not mean that we treat them as small adults because their brains simply are not that developed. Um, But interestingly, something that we tend to do though is because their bodies are changing and because they are start having these secondary sex characteristics that are the adults for markers for adulthood, that a lot of us, especially in Western culture, stop touching our children right around puberty. Yeah, that the affection, physical affection. Right, right. The physical affection, the hugs, <clears throat> the caressing, the holding, mm. the snuggling, the kissing, that kind of thing. We tend to just do the hands-off thing, and it's kind of subconscious. Mm. Um, I, I don't think most of us say, uh-oh, you know what? And Time to stop. Right. And But we just find that, oh, we're not connecting physically anymore. Now, it is a bit of a challenge, right? You know, sometimes an adult parent doesn't feel entirely comfortable with a lot of physical connection. And that may be something that, you know, you maybe you look at your upbringing and say, what was my family culture around Mm -hmm. touch? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some ethnic cultures are super touchy and some are not. I think I remember a study that said that um, uh, Italian families touch 15 times an hour Mm. and uh, British families are like one time an hour. Mm. I mean, it's just like, crazy and so, so um, why is the why is the touch still important in the teenagers yeah, well because because they're human and because we're human we are wired to communicate through our bodies that touch pressure relationship is a very important emotional signal to our brains and our gut and our body that we're safe we're connected we're not alone so this is strengthening the attachment the safe haven the orientation toward the parent that's right, right. thank you very much And so um, you want to find ways that you can continue to connect physically with your child, Mm. okay? It will look different for everybody. I I would suggest that if you have real problems reaching out and touching your child, that there may be some issues that you need to kind of unpack a little bit, okay? Mm. But kids need this because when we don't touch them and they need that physical touch, Mm -hmm. they'll find it somewhere. They will find it somewhere. Yeah. Right. They're going to be very vulnerable to someone who will provide that physical touch. 
And so you as the parent have got to continue providing that. I I remember uh, one client, her 15-year-old son would not even talk to her, would not even give her the time of day. But the one thing he would allow is when he was in bed at night, she would come in and she would rub his back. She would give him a back rub. And during that back rub, she would talk to him just a little bit. He wouldn't really talk back, but she could say a few things while he was relaxed and she was engaging that touch pressure relationship. And so that was a major, you know, blessing to that They figured out something, Mm -hmm. okay? I found that with my oldest daughter in the evenings, just like you're saying, she's much more open and she'll want to stay up later and sit on my lap. Mm -hmm. And whereas during the day, it's kind of like, oh, she's up and around. Mm -hmm. And I've also found that one of the easiest ways is to touch hair. That seems, yes, but they're always open to me playing with their hair and it doesn't feel like they're all over me. You know, I'm kind of just reaching over and stroking their hair. Right. So, you know, little things like that. Right. Yeah. Brushing hair, braiding hair. You know, you always see um, teenage girls are always messing with each other's hair and their nails, you know, manicures, pedicures. That's a great one. Um, Get some lotion and give a foot massage to, Mm -hmm. you know, your teenage girls, your teenage boys, as long as they've had a bath. Yeah. I think it's also important that the the fathers understand this. So it's not just the moms. Right. But it's really important that the fathers are also doing this right right so the dads can you know sit next to you on the sofa watch a movie share popcorn you know sharing food is a touch pressure relationship that's a thing that can be done um dads are great at roughhousing and especially i think it doesn't matter it can be boys or girls very very fun kids love it and it teaches a lot of good things and keeps that touch pressure relationship also being a gentleman and a, a father can be a gentleman and and he teaches and models for his sons and daughters how a woman should be treated so does he open doors does he open car doors does he lift packages mm-hmm. does he help someone in and out of difficult situations does he take hold of their hand and so i think especially for a young woman to see her father being gentlemanly and taking her hand and leading her or or even walking next to her and, and being polite and um you know just being a little protective mm-hmm. that's that's actually a, a physical way to connect and it's it's very healthy that's something mm-hmm. that i think a lot of dads can feel um they can feel do that confident do that, yeah, yeah about doing that mm-hmm. so there's that so other things are there's this concept called a love map have you ever heard of it? No, you were telling me a little bit, mm-hmm. but I'm excited to hear about it. I love this concept because it's something that everybody can grab onto it's really fast. And it's a kind of a cool project. So a love map. Oh, well, what is a map? Okay. If you think about a map, it's a map is not the terrain. It's a, it's a model of the terrain, mm-hmm. right? It's a visual. Right. And if you are trying to find your way through a new place mm-hmm. and you have a map with not very much detail, what's going to happen? It's not going to go well. Yeah, you're going to get lost, Yeah, right? Totally get lost. But if you have a map that has lots of detail, Mm -hmm. then the journey goes better. You're not going to get lost. Now, love maps are very similar. So think about having a map to your teenager Mm. about how to find the way through to their heart, okay? And to be able to touch them and guide them and not get lost. Mm. So love map is basically um, a, kind of a map of who your child is, what's going on in their lives, mm-hmm. who their friends are, what topics they're worried about. <clears throat> it basically is how much do you know about your kid? And, and the more you know, the more 
detailed that map becomes. Mm. Okay. Now, why is this important? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the story that I always tell my clients is this. You have a, a maybe it's a divorced dad or something. He calls up his kid and, uh, you know, his kid answers the phone and he goes, hey, Bobby, I hear it's your birthday today. I wanted to get you some Legos. And I'm really excited because I got the, I ordered a really cool Lego, you know, pack for you. And Bobby goes, dad, I'm 14 years old. I don't do Legos anymore. I don't play Legos. That's old news. Yeah. And the dad goes, oh, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, got it, got it, got it. Um, okay. Well, um, so, hey, no, I, I heard you were uh, going out for the baseball team. Is that right? And the kid goes, yeah. And the, the dad goes, well, uh, so h- how's that going? And the kid goes, I got cut from the team. They didn't even take me, dad. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you can see how somebody that loves their child, but has a really incomplete love map can actually create problems in the attachment. Right. The child feels like you don't care about me and I don't feel close to you. Right. Right. So they feel less. Right. Yeah. Right. So on the opposite end, of course, is the dad that calls up and goes, hey, Bobby, you know, I heard you tried out for baseball um, and your friend, Jonathan, he was trying out too. How did you both do? Because I remember Jonathan said he was having trouble pitching. Mm-hmm. And what's Bobby going to think? Say, oh, he knows. Yeah. yeah. He's there. Yeah. yeah. And that starts a meaningful conversation, right? Yeah. And so when you're trying to talk to your teenager, you might find that they give you these really subtle little love tests. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's see if they care enough to know anything. And if it looks like you really don't care, if you're asking these bland questions like, hey, so how was school today? Yeah. Fine. Right. Yeah, right. you don't care. Right. You just passed the love test, right? And and you don't have much of a love map. And you think about how their peers will talk to them. Right. Because their peers are going to know all of the... Right, ins and outs of their lives. Right, and that's how they right. become attached. Right. And just to show you one of my failings, one of my one of my daughters... She was kind of, you know, I don't know, coloring outside the lines and things. And, and uh, I, I was having trouble attaching to her, actually. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot of reasons behind that. But anyway, she would have these friends come over. She really would not have friends come and hang out at the house. Mm-hmm. She would not. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I just thought, okay, that's a little bit weird, whatever. And so she, the friends would come to the door and ask for her. And I'd be talking to them and everything. And after about four times or so, my daughter, she goes, Mom, you don't even remember the names of my friends. And she slammed the door and left. And I'm like, guilty, Mm. totally guilty. (laughs) My love map for her was not very detailed. I did not even know the names of her friends. Mm. So that was a real humbling experience for me. I'm like, wow, that's not good. So, so that's an example of how having a a very detailed love map and it, it takes time, but then that will help you to find journey into their hearts and connect with them. And they feel like you care and feel like you're there for them. And you know what's going on. That's very, very important hmm. to have a, have a good love map. So that's, that's a way to create uh, an attachment with your teen um, that helps create that safe haven for them. Have a balanced approach to interaction with friends and kids of the opposite sex. You know, I think some parents, I think they kind of go overboard and just say, yeah, we don't want any interactions with, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends. No, no, no. And we just want group activities. And, and you know, I'm kind of wondering if maybe some of us have gone overboard in that because they need the opportunity to experience some romantic feelings and to kind of deal with that. And then hopefully they're coming to you with a little bit of those feelings or not to put everything on the shelf until they're 22. 
Hmm. That I think is a mistake because if they can engage in some of those smaller relationships under your, your roof and that you can guide them and, and maybe process with them about things, I think that's very, very helpful. So I think a balanced approach that, you know, if you've got a darling girl that kind of is really interested in this cute boy, don't, don't put the don't quash everything, hmm. you know, I'll, allow it and, and support it and make good, healthy boundaries around it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that's an important thing. And it, interesting, some research that went on in the fifties with a man named Harry Harlow, he did long-term uh, experiments depriving baby monkeys of their moms. Mm. And the results were absolutely horrendous. Mm, wow. And part of the problem was that the baby monkeys did not know how to relate to other baby monkeys mm. or even their peers. Wow. And so as teenagers, as adolescents, the monkeys that were deprived of the attachment with their mother had uh, really interesting profiles in their behavior. Some of them, all they did was hold each other. They would just so hold each other That's hours so a day, just hold each other. They wouldn't explore. They, they wouldn't do the normal thing. They would just hold each other. And then another group of the, the adolescent monkeys were kind of like ADHD, just kind of like hyper hmm. and um, even violent. And so really the, the attachment that you're forming with your young children has implications for their teenage years. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, this whole thing is about attachment. This particular episodes are, have been about attachment. And it really is key for their adolescence because uh, children often will kind of fly under the radar with their distresses, any little traumas and things. They're not going to be acting out in major ways. They hit 12, 13, right. and suddenly... Right. It's easy to just say, oh, my eight-year-old, I'm going to do my own thing. They're yes. fine. Just They're fine. Playing all the time. Right. They can just watch TV yeah. and, and we're going to be, yeah, no. Yeah, that's the time not to put true. the effort in, it's easier when they're younger. Right. The highest leverage activity that you can do is put in time with your attachments, your secure attachment with your young ones. Yeah. And then later on as teenagers, when they're attached to you, then they will be able to be much easier to parent. Because... I mean, it's almost like it's easier to just say, hey, I'm going to stay home with my kids full time. And then when they're 10, 11, then I'm going to go to work mm -hmm. because I have a secure attachment. Yes. Whereas you see so many people in the world, it's like, you know, yes. your kid's fine at two, year, two years old doing their own thing. Right. With a, right. you know. Yeah. So that's well, interesting. And along with that is what my mother always said. You know, she, she always said, well, you know, your four-year-old needs you, but actually your 14-year-old needs you more. Mm. And- and I think there's there's a lot of truth to that because the trouble they can get into is much more high stakes. However, I, I would say if you have to choose, say you're like, okay, to contribute to the family finances, I've got to be, you know, in the money-making world at some point. Me, as an experienced uh, clinician, I would say stay with your children when you're little and attend to them when they're little. That would probably be the highest leverage activity if you can, if you can possibly figure out a way to do that. Mm -hmm. And another thing is make sure you greet them and say goodbye um, I, a lot of teenagers just kind of skulk out of the house right. and I get that, but don't it, as much as you can, you know, meet, make eye contact. Hey, you know what? We're going to be waiting for you to come back or we're holding dinner for you. Come home. That kind of thing. Your entrance, your exit is important to us. And that's one of those attachment signals that children 
really appreciate and need, even if they don't acknowledge it. And I feel like that's a tradition that you can start now and you can do it with everyone in the family. You can do it with your husband. You know, you always know, hey, where are you going? We're going to be back. They see that, you know, going on with Mm -hmm. parents and the older siblings Mm -hmm. And, um, the attachment rituals. Yep. Right. And I remember as a teenager, I had a friend who she has, um, like a Latina background. Oh yes. Uh-huh. And she, whenever she came to my house, she'd be like, I think it's so weird that you guys just like leave the house. Right. And in her house, it was like, you'd have to go into the, in her parents' room <laughs> and kind of have this big thing about exactly where you're going yes. and goodbye <laughs> kisses and everything. So it was kind of like this big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was kind of cool. Yes. And that's kind of this, what yes. we're talking about. Yes, exactly. I love it. Another thing is take, you know what, just take your kid out for a drink, just throw them in the car, go out and get their favorite drink and talk. That's, mm. that's a great one. Most kids will always do something like that. Uh, another one is to swap your favorite music and talk about why. Listen to their music, have them listen to your music, and yeah. just exchange those feelings mm-hmm. and what it meant to you, what it means to you. Music is often part of your child's love map, mm. and it's a very, very important thing not to not to miss that one. Another thing is, okay, so as a parent of teens, you want to do less lecturing, okay? Mm. It's so tempting to lecture because finally they can understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's better to not lecture them directly. So how do you communicate your culture and your values to your child if you don't lecture to them? One way is to tell them stories. Mm, Everybody loves stories. Everybody loves stories. Everyone will listen to stories, yeah. Right. And especially... There's so a lot of stories that you can do are stories about yourself growing up, mm-hmm. stories about your friends growing up. And I had this friend, he started smoking when he was nine years old. And right. right. You tell stories and that or or even, man, there's this Hollywood person and this is what happened. And that helps them learn, but they don't feel personally attacked. Right. And I think you can also find great books. Literature. Yeah. They Absolutely. have you know, there's great stories in there. Yes. That can inspire them or warn them right? in a way that doesn't feel like, you know, hitting them over the head. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So stories are very, very important. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great one. Um, And my, I made a scrapbook with my 10 year old and she will get it out like every three days and look through it. And every time she sees it on the shelf, mom, I just love that scrapbook. And I'm like. It took us, you know, 10 minutes and I think it's annoying to have in the house, but she loves it (laughs) and she'll pull it out all the time. Well, right. And And so that's another activity you can do is you can either make a scrapbook together or you make a lovely scrapbook for your teenager about the wonderful ways that you adore them and that they're wonderful Mm. people and, and give that to them as a gift because that is a material way, proof that you love them and that you, and that you have faith in them. That's really cool. That's a great one. Another one that uh, one of my clients did, and I'm sure it's on the internet, but I just never heard of it. It's really cool. Is this interactional journal where you have this journal where the mom will write something and maybe ask a question and hand it to the teenager. The teenager answers it, asks a question, hands it back. Back and forth. Yeah. How cool is that? And this particular client said her teenage son will say things in that journal that he will never say directly to her. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I was like, sometimes I'll text my husband things and he's like, why don't you ever say this to me? And I'm like, because it's easier to text it. (laughs) It's true. So that's very cool. Cook together. You know, Mm. cooking together can be very, very fun. Um, The other thing too is 
Think in terms of making your lives and your tasks relational. Yeah, I love that. Right. I love that. So what does that mean? You don't turn on headphones and TV in the car when you drive. Right. To talk. Right. Whenever you can talk. Right. And when you're working, instead of assigning the kids, okay, you do that, you do that, you do that. Instead of assigning the children, you work together as a family. Mm -hmm. You're all together in the same room. We're cleaning the living room. Yes, you're Mm -hmm. dusting, you're vacuuming, you're putting stuff away, but we're all together. Yeah. So that's a very important thing is, and if you're cooking, you know, instead of saying, oh, it's, you know, Jimmy's night to cook. It's like, no. We are cooking together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Make things relational. And even, here's here's a really interesting concept. If you have to consequence your kid, mm-hmm. make it relational, mm. okay? So one way to do it is actually say, okay, you know what? Looks like you're staying with me. You're staying, you know, maybe you're not leaving the house or whatever it is. But during that time that you do something together. Or another thing you could do is you say, all right, so this is the consequence, you know, the uh, shoe has come down. Um, yes, this is going to happen. L- let your teen sit with it for a minute or a while, maybe 15 minutes, whatever. And then you as the parent come in and rescue them mm. from the consequence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, listen, you know what? I know you're grounded or I know that, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to have your phone or whatever it is, but I'll tell you what, let's do this together. Yeah. And, and I know it sounds like, well, then they did get consequenced. Well, it's an interesting thing because once your kids are 12, 13, 14, it is a different way of parenting. They, you really do not want to be a consequency parent. You want to be a relational parent. Mm. Okay. They are not a small animal to be trained anymore. Mm-hmm. That time is gone. Yeah. Okay. If you didn't do it when they were younger than 10 or 11, pretty much you're, you need to look in different areas for how to relate to your child and simply slamming down the consequences will create a big rupture in your relationship and it it really is distressing for your child and makes them want to run to their peers their peers you know very seldom have those kind of consequences and so it makes you the bad guy the peers the good guy and that's really not where you want them to go Mm -hmm. what you want to do is you want to say this was the consequence you let them sit in it for a while Mm yeah and then feel that yeah feel that and then you rescue them from it. And yeah. then they, they're like, oh, cool, man. Awesome. And then you talk about it, right? Or what if you had the other parent do it? Is that the same thing or not really? Because you're Well, your actually, I wouldn't now. do that because yeah. then, you've, then you've got the, the one parent look like they're undermining. Right. So I wouldn't okay. do that. But then after you've rescued your child, a lot of times they're feeling a little bit warm towards you right. half the time. And sometimes you can process. Right. And you say, let's talk about what happened there. What can we do a little different next time? I mean, that you know, we just don't want to have to go through this very often, right? So that's actually a really good teaching moment when you rescue them from the agreed upon consequences. Now, of course, that doesn't have to, hap- have to happen every time. But I would tend to want to be the person that is the really safe place that safe haven for them rather than the punitive consequency parent. Yeah. So we should, we tell the story of the ultimate consequence when I was a teenager. Go ahead. I don't don't remember it. Tell me, tell me. This is funny. So, you know, I was in piano lessons Ah. and we had this teacher who was kind of very tough teacher, Uh right? This teacher. And so we'd practice and practice and practice and we'd go and it was just never quite perfect enough. Right. And Uh we practice and practice and practice. It was almost there, but never quite there. And then she was uh, a little bit, Mm, she was a little anal yeah a little yeah. more i mean i've had a lot of teachers since then and they're just kind and right like, 
excited for you to succeed. This yeah. lady was like, no, She's you like, are not succeeding. Right. So anyways, but my mom, for some reason, probably, I don't know, that's probably not a great, <laughs> I have to go back, she probably wouldn't say this, but she said, hey, if you get kicked out of this teacher, because the teacher had a policy where if you get this many points, then you get kicked out. Right. Right. That's how like anal she was, right? Right. And so she, my mom was like, oh, to motivate you. If you get kicked out, I'm going to sell your horses. And our horses were like our most <laughs> prized thing. Like it was our oh life. Oh my gosh, I forgot I did this. It was our <laughs> life was our horses. And we were just like, oh, do anything. We have practice practices for hours because we thought mom's going to sell our horses if we get kicked out. So the time came when we got kicked out. Mm-hmm. It was like we weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so I remember just crying and crying and crying. And I was like, no. And I didn't even care about piano. Mm-hmm. I did not care one right. bit that I was kicked out of piano. All I right. cared about was the horse. Right. And so on the way home, my mom was like, well, I guess we're going to sell the horses. And my sister and I were just like, bah, you know. And <laughs> so then we were just like so upset. But then later on, I don't know, you came back and you said, hey, guess what? Let's figure out something else. Let's find a new teacher that might work with us better. And mm-hmm. Just realized that, um, you know, maybe my consequence was a little bit much. And yeah. I was very like, oh, okay, great. She's not going to just like ruin our lives over mm-hmm. something that was not really under over our mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. And so that was just an example of like, hey, that could have seriously ruptured. Right. I feel like the relationship. Right. If that would have happened. To show some mercy yeah. is actually a great way to. Uh, connect with your child. Now, the only reason that actually worked was because I actually had a good track record of following through, right? Yeah. I wasn't one we of these people. Right. That it was going to happen. Yeah. I, I actually had a good track record of following through, but that one was probably ill-advised. In fact, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, this is, this is fun because I, I like to encourage people. It's like, listen, I've done dumb things too, and we can all improve. And hopefully you can shortcut to that, not have to go through some of the things that, that I've done. Yeah. So what we want to share on this podcast is, you know, us in the trenches, but mm-hmm. also having that cool perspective of like, Hey, this worked, this didn't work. Yes. And so, yes. Um, be, be your child's biggest fan. You know yeah, that? I love that. Every yeah, love child that. needs a fan. And you just be that person. Now, does that mean that you push, push, push them? There's a difference between pushing and encouraging, okay? I think that is an important thing to kind of think about. If your child feels pressure, that's different than if they feel encouragement. And you can talk to them about it. It's like, Mm. hey... When I, you know, when I decorate your room before you have a game, is that putting pressure on you to perform well yeah. and, and talk to them and yeah. see, but, but being your biggest fan and not super critical. And, and also, I mean, how, like being their biggest fan, that also means not letting them just do nothing like, oh, yeah, right. You right. have to find that balance. Right. For sure. If you really love your child, you don't just pat them on the head and let them watch. In fact, the story I tell my clients is... When I was growing up, uh, one of my friends had an older sister who was severely learning disabled. She probably should have been in some kind of program, but maybe in those days they didn't have as many. And I remember going to her house and seeing her older sister. And her older sister was sitting on the couch watching cartoons and just a compulsive eater. So she was, uh, even though she was only probably 17 years old, I'm sure she was up close to 275 pounds. She was really, really heavy, and she really couldn't talk much. And she would just sit in front of the TV eating, but then she would have this 
roll of toilet paper and she wouldn't even wipe her nose. She would just let the mucus drip down on the toilet paper and she would just slowly rotate this toilet paper until it was covered. And that was her afternoons. That was her life in the afternoons. And, you know, that if that's the best you can do, that's okay. And maybe that was the best she could do. Okay. But if we look at our kids and pat them on the head and just let them watch cartoons and eat junk food, that is not a loving behavior. Hmm. That's saying, I underestimate your abilities. I don't think you have abilities. I don't have faith in you. And so a real loving parent says, you can do better than that. Right. Right. And I'm inviting you to do better and I'll support you and let's move forward. Right. Because I have your welfare at heart. And I like that talking about when there's too much pressure. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Just with your team. Yeah, we will. Um, take them to lunch. Um, boy, I would really, really say no TVs or computers in the bedrooms. Deal. Yeah. Kids, as soon as they turn 12, they're going to be locked in their bedrooms um, watching TV on or doing their computer stuff. And that is where I draw the line. I just... Kills the relationship. I right. Mean, how can you have a relationship when everyone goes to their own room? Separate screens. Right. Separate screens. Right. I mean, at the very least, let's all watch maybe together. Right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Screens. Yeah. 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 Well, and so let's talk about phones. Yeah. Okay. Parents, there's no reason for your young teenager to have a phone that's connected to the internet. No reason. The end. There's no reason. Full stop. Don't. If a school is telling you they need nothing, there's no reason. (laughs) Do not do that. And I know there's tons of pressures from, from school, but there has to be a way that you can have a desktop in your or a laptop in your house but not a phone that's in their pocket that's hooked to the internet Mm. that creates i just can't even tell you how many problems how many socially contagious peer dependent problems that creates and And you've seen them firsthand i have seen them firsthand yeah firsthand and i see it in these clients in these teenagers that are so mixed up and not attached to their parents so get them a phone where they can you know, text certain numbers and, and, you know, or you can, you can get a phone that looks like an iPhone people. Yeah. It looks good yeah. because we you get the shame text. factor. All right. But no, I, one of the things that I'm most upset about is that Apple has not done a better job of shielding children yeah. from, from all of these habit forming and pornographic sites. Um, and in fact, we know that they hire behavioral researchers to make things as addictive as possible. Yeah, all these apps, that's what they do. Yep, that's and exactly right. That's what they want. Right. So you just and have to realize that's what right. is happening. Right. And then the children, the, the teenagers are suffering. The, yeah. the research on that is really, really significant. That the more time they spend on social media, the more anxious and depressed they will be. And that is the gateway to suicidality and all of the negative coping that we see. So if I could just say one thing, do not give your child a phone with internet access as a young teen. Yeah. I think by the time they're 16 is probably a good age. Yeah. My husband and I have said they're not having any internet access until they're 16 plus. It's a wide door open to just the cesspool of the world. Yeah. And we just see how it's changed. Yeah. Teenagers we know. Yes. And it's 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 tough. Devastating. Right. And once they're there. It's hard to go back. Once they're yeah. there, there, it is Pandora's box. Yeah. It is It is so easy to get hooked. And uh, the research shows that one of the big triggers for impulsive suicidality in teen girls is suddenly taking away their phone. Mm. Yeah, because they're addicted. Because that's their umbilical cord. They're peer dependent, and that's their umbilical cord to their peer group. So it 
if I could just say one thing. Now, say your child is already on the internet and has an iPhone. What do you do? We will have a podcast about that. But yeah. I just want to caution you not to suddenly take it away in a fit of rage. Do not do that. Don't leave this podcast and say, oh my gosh, you know, families with Dash said, this is the worst thing ever. Well, yeah, if you're already in it, there's a process. Right. There's a process. And we will talk about that. Right. But if you're contemplating internet yep. phones, we say no. Right. Right. Based on we research and right. life experience. Yeah. Right. For sure. One thing that I really, really like that we talked about was the rules of conversation oh, with your yes. teens. This is really cool. And this is something that you can think about, you know, one, two, three. Yes. Yes. And I don't know. Do you, there are a number of adults that really don't have too much compassion on teens that they, they kind of take as a kind of a, a glee in kind of embarrassing their kids. Teasing. Kind mm-hmm. of. Teasing, embarrassing, doing things to them that mortifies their children. And uh, I get where that comes from, but let's just not do that. Your right. teens are actually, their hearts are very tender. Yeah. And when you hurt them by shaming or embarrassing them, that that is something that is very hard for them to recover from. And so and you just think about it just like when you're a teenager, you have these like core memories made. Yes. You know, as an adult, Moments. Like, someone says something rude, like mm-hmm. I don't even remember. But right. As a teenager, you never know what could be these kind of right. core. Right. These little traumas that just yeah. stick with them because they're so impressionable. So the three rules of conversation are number one, never embarrass whoever you're talking to. And this is not just for teenagers. Mm -hmm. Like if you're talking to your neighbor, you don't say things that are going to embarrass your neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. So you can kind of sense, don't do it to your teenager either. Okay. Number two is don't volunteer too much personal information about yourself. TMI is a thing Mm -hmm. with teenagers. They don't want to know about a lot of the things that you're concerned about, you're worried about, your love life, your weight, your whatever. Right. It can, I mean, it gives them anxiety. It does. And anxiety between the relationship. Right. Right. And, and they, they really do not want to know that kind of stuff. And I think that's actually probably a healthy inhibition. Mm -hmm. That's a healthy boundary. To say, yeah, mom, I don't want to know about this stuff. And don't put that on me. And so they're not ready for that. No, 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 no. So parents need to be very sensitive that they are not emotionally vomiting too much personal stuff on their teenagers. If your teenager looks at you a little sideways, don't ignore it. Hmm. Back off. Okay. And then number three is don't always complain about the state of the world or your generation. Oh my gosh, you kids are this or that, you know. This world you're in is going to be horrible. Right, right. This is the worst. Our government is falling apart and yeah. inflation and all that. And don't do that because they can't do anything about it. Yeah. They're just trying to survive their own little life. And if you keep moaning and groaning about the state of the world, the state of politics, the state of this generation, that that they won't want to talk to you. Yeah. So those three things, never embarrass them. Don't volunteer too much of your personal information. You know, don't do the TMI and don't always complain about things. That's good. Or, or family members. Your Aunt Ethel, don't do that to your... Right. Yeah. Right. That, the family members. They can't thing. do anything about yeah, that. Yeah, the drama. No. Right. Yeah. Another one is, let's talk about rules and consequences for teenagers. Okay. Now that will be a whole entire another podcast, but in general... You really don't want to be like Moses coming off Sinai and dispensing the consequences. Mm. That's that should be over now. That that should end when they're about ten or eleven. Um, from now on, you really want to collaborate mm. with them. 
mm-hmm. on the consequences. So this means you can't just wait around and be a reactive parent, wait for your kid to do something wrong, and then jump down their throat. Mm-hmm. That is not good parenting. Okay, mm-hmm. Intentional parenting is an attachment-based parenting is where when they start being a little bit older, you know, 12, 13, you have little discussions with them mm-hmm. about boundaries, mm-hmm. about rules. Mm-hmm. And you say, so, you know, because we want you to be safe, we'd like you to actually survive teenagerhood. That, you know, when you're 14, we expect you to be home by 9.30. When you're 15, it'll be 10. When you're 16, it'll be, you know, 11, whatever like that. And we, and so you talk to them about the boundaries and then you collaborate on the consequences. So what does that mean? Mm. So, so basically you're not saying, and if you do that, you're going to lose your keys to the car. No, Mm. you ask them, you say, listen, the reason we have these boundaries is for safety. And so that we communicate and we understand each other deeply and we feel safe with each other. Now, and you do this ahead of time when everyone's rational, right? Not after, exactly. Not oh. after this has already happened. Great point. Yeah. Great point, Amelia. Right. When everyone's rational <laughs> and you say, now, what do you think should be the consequence mm-hmm. if you don't let us know and you come in late? What, what do you think should be the consequence? Yeah. Now, here's the deal. If your kid gives you a stupid answer, they're playing games like, yeah. oh, I think you should get me a cake. Ha ha ha. Silly, yeah. Okay. Or. Well, nothing. Then what what that means is they're playing games with you. And this indicates they don't really trust you and they're not very attached to you. Hmm. Okay. So this is actually kind of a nice litmus test for your attachment. You ask them. And if they play games, then you're like, hmm, Hmm. we have more of a problem than I thought. They actually don't trust me or they're not that attached to me to be able to say, well, mom, I think that I should not be able to go out the rest of the week with friends or whatever, you know, and and have an actual conversation with. Right. Yeah. Productive. Right. And then document it, you know, send a little text with a summary, because I find that, you know, I'll kind of forget what I said or didn't say. And my teen will say, mom, you said that. And I'm like, did I? Yeah. Did I really? Mm-hmm. And then you don't know what to do. One good thing about texting is you just have a hard copy of everything. As soon as you're done talking, you just send them a little thing. Okay, so this is what we decided. Boom. There it is. Mm-hmm. And then you can always scroll back and find out, look, we did say noon, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. And so that's that's useful too. Um, and, and so collaborating on the consequences for teens is very, very important. And the other thing too is that that treats them like, more like the burgeoning adult that they are. Yeah. They're not just passive children that you know you you act on they can start that launch pad mm-hmm. you know they can think about these things right 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 when they're not uh defensive and reactive and hurt yeah. and resentful then they can actually think through things and start using some of those prefrontal cortex cells yeah. in their brain so that's that's an important one to do also Another thing is we're going to have a whole podcast on strength-based motivation and stewardship delegation. That's super amazing. Very, very, very important concepts to learn dealing with teenagers especially. It's going to be so helpful for parenting because a lot of it is stuff that you haven't heard. Right. Changes everything. So anyway, stay tuned for that. We will have those soon in the future. Yeah. And um, the last one is be honest with your kid. Be honest. If they come to you, if they have concerns, be honest. Give them the straight scoop. They have to know that you will tell them the truth, even if it's hard. And that would be one of my closing comments is that's what they need to feel safe and that they can trust you is that you are going to be honest with them. Yeah, that's cool. I had someone that came over to my house and they said, 
wow, I just think it's amazing that, you know, the the father of your family doesn't make fun of the kids. Mm-hmm. And it was really, and I think this is one of those times where you don't really realize. Yes, the family that culture. That you're damaging this relationship. And, you know, I think this being honest mm-hmm. is part of that. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, let's just be honest with our kids mm-hmm. and not use them. Sarcastic. These, yeah, right. that kind of thing. It's the right. same thing. And I mm-hmm. think that, um, I think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it can be for sure. Good. Oh, that's a good insight. So anyways, <sighs> I'm super happy that we were able to do this. Yes. I know that I hope this is really helpful for people. The teenage years can be tricky, but I think if we think about yep. things in these ways, it can really head off a lot of. Yep. I've lived through seven teenagers and, and are still here to talk about it. So <laughs> it, it actually, you know, just interestingly, I never. So I just did it. But but really, I never would say to my friends, oh, my gosh, teenagers. Oh, I hate teenagers. I yeah. never do that. I love teenagers. Yeah. I thought they were awesome. And I never said derogatory things to them like, oh, you're just that stupid age. You're just a teenager. I never would do right. that. And I think they kind of felt that. They didn't feel it because other parents will just slam teenagers so hard. Yeah, and they'll hear, they'll, they'll hear their parents say, oh, wait till they're teenagers. Right. Then it's horrible. Right. And it's like, yeah. how does that make no everybody feel? Right. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully we'll meet with you soon and uh, keep moving forward and having a great uh, family dash. Okay. See ya. Okay. Find more from us at dashintolearning.com for all things educational and learn more about Dash Into Happy, our family-friendly social-emotional learning program. Thanks for being part of Families with Dash. Disclaimer, the information and advice posted on the Dash Into Learning, Dash Into Happy, and Into Happy site and podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional, medical, mental health, legal, or other professional assistance. Call your medical or mental health professional or 911 for all emergencies. Joan Landis, Amelia Murdoch are not liable for any advice or information provided on the account Dash Into Happy, Dash Into Learning, Families with Dash, or Into Happy.